0: Are you a clinician in primary care who wishes there were better resources to help you understand how to navigate the concept of triage in modern general practice? We'll boost your triage skills with our dynamic five-session live webinar course tailored for primary care clinicians. Led by myself and Dr. Ed Pooley from Difficult Conversations, this comprehensive training covers all facets of remote patient triage, whether that be digital, on-call or other opportunities. Through this course, you'll gain practical knowledge, exclusive hints and tips, and direct access to myself and Ed through open Q&A sessions of the course. Elevate your ability to manage primary care challenges effectively and confidently, and most importantly, safely. Register now to transform your triage approach at bit.ly slash GP triage course, the GP in capitals, and we will definitely catch you then.
1: There have been a lot of changes announced with regards to the primary care network DES. There are some new DES requirements. There are new IIF requirements and criteria, and it's all got a little bit confusing. Um, In this episode, we'll be summarizing the changes and um, trailing you towards some uh, other episodes that we've done on these issues. Uh, But without further ado, let's get started and help you understand the issues at hand. Let's tech enhance your primary care and learning. Good morning, Andy. How are you? I'm good, Andy. How are we doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Just recovering from the last episode we recorded about the IIF um, uh, criteria and change of things, that was pretty heavy. Yep, so hopefully we're going to have a slightly less heavy episode as we're going to
0: summarize the PCN DES contract. And you're probably sitting there thinking that's less heavy, but actually this is going to be the case. So we're just going to briefly summarize the actual overarching changes to the PCN DES contract, in particular what it looks like for you. And that's in anticipation of our more detailed episode, which you're not going to want to miss. That's going to be next time, so we'll put the links to that at the end of this so you can join us. But next time, we're going to be going through the whole PCN DES contract, what this means for you as a network, what you need to do, what you need to tackle. So absolutely make sure you join us for that particular session because you will not want to miss it. However, before we get on to that, Andy, summarizing the PCN DES contract, what did you think of when
1: you saw this stuff? Yeah, so I suppose it all... So it all begins with a letter um, that came out that sort of highlighted the changes to IIF and the changes to the PCN. There's contract. Um, We've obviously looked at Annex B last week, looking at the IIF Mm -hmm. and next week we'll be looking at Annex A, which looks at the, um, the changes to the primary care network uh, contract requirements itself. Uh, Something that jumped out at me, Gandhi um, was uh, last week we were sort of breathing a bit of a sigh of relief because they were saying, Oh, the, Um, additional uh, requirements and asks will be voluntary and additional. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think they use something like principally, the principal way in which NHS England will be promoting PCN service improvement goals from the long-term plan um, will be through the IIF improvements. So, So they will be asking us to do, yes, additional things, but they will be giving additional money for that and that they won't be taxing us by asking us to do additional things which mm-hmm. um, we are not receiving additional money for. And we were both sort of breathing a bit of a sigh of relief. Um, but then sort of moving straight into annex, annex A, Annex A covers things which are not part of the IIF funding. It's a PCN must. Mm-hmm. And then then details a number of things which some are complementary to the IIF objectives, but some are not. So that was the main thing that struck me, Andy. Yep. What were your thoughts on that?
0: Uh, yeah, and I echo your thoughts. I think it's important to remember that the pc and des contract was originally created two years ago, um, and it was set out in terms of various different uh, criteria that were going to be introduced year on year. Um, a lot of that got paused because of COVID. So th- some of these criteria that we're going to be talking about were meant to have been introduced, well, not this April, just gone, but April beforehand. But that didn't happen because of COVID. They're now happening. That's the key thing. So these are supposedly incorporated into the PCNDES contract. This is the criteria whereby you get your ARS funding. This is where you get all your other funding because you're doing this work. That's our understanding of what this letter is setting out. Shall we have a look at it?
1: Yep, yep. this is on screen. There we um, go. Yeah, so it, it's a multi-page document. We've done some highlights in anticipation of our, um, of our uh, broadcast next mm-hmm. week little glitch there um and i think we we'll go into more detail there really but my my main concern was just around um yeah it, it's additional work are we placed to be able to do it and what's at stake gandhi if we're unable mm-hmm. to deliver on some of these objectives you know we now employ um, staff on permanent contracts based on this des um you know if 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 pcn's are struggling to meet some of these requirements you know what happens what's it what's at stake are you any clearer on any of that well, I, I suspect that it will be a
0: breach of contract for networks, um, or actually the practices, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, because the practices are the ones that have signed the contracts. Um, in which case that may put their um uh PCN payments, so the one pound seventy six the practices get uh, for being part of the PCN that might put that at risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suspect it'll put at risk how much of their ARS funding they get, which to me is counterintuitive because if they penalise practices by taking away the ARS funding then they can't do the work and then well, I guess even worse after that point. But yeah, I don't know, to be honest. It'll be right. interesting to see how this is mitigated. Does this mean that they're going to take the money back from practices directly um in other routes of payments in terms of their GMS contract, for example, is a I, I think this is a question no one's really asked. What happens yeah, what, if you don't fulfill the contract?
1: One, one imagines there'll be some sort of, you know, performance management process that's Mm -hmm. in place the work still needs to be done even if practice aren't doing it i'm not sure i'm aware of areas where they opted out of the primary care network des entirely but Mm -hmm. patients need access to uh what is specified within them so it'll it'll probably be that the requirement to deliver these will fall upon um another body who takes up the responsibility for this Mm -hmm. for those populations um and presumably there will be sort of two pay of staff that may have been employed by that primary care network through to the new body Um, you know who knows could get very complicated but yeah. Um, but but in any shall case. we have a look at the summary document? So that's what we we're
0: focusing on on this particular episode. So this is just a brief summary of what you need to know. As we said, this is in anticipation of our more detailed look at the documents next time. So make sure you join us for that. But basically, um, it's a two-page summary table um, that we put on there. I'm going to actually. Do you mind zooming in a teeny bit, Andy? Um, let's yeah, make it have bigger. Look at how to do that again. It was Zoom, I remember right. Yeah, Uh, here we go. Yeah, let's go. 150. Perfect. And let's do that. So it makes it as big as possible for everybody. Um, So, yeah, as you can see, there's five different criteria, which is set out in the letter. Um, And it talks about the key objectives, talks about the service requirements. So this is the part that we feel is already paid for by the PCN DES, or that's what they're thinking. And then there's the extra areas on the right, which is the IAF indicator areas of focus, which where there is additional funding if you volunteer to do that particular work. What was your impression of reading this, Andy?
1: Yeah, so I mean we've we've looked at the other documents as well. So it really is just a summary. Um, I think people could view this um, this document as um, sort of looking backwards to last week when we looked at the IAF uh, requirements and looking forwards to next week when we're looking at the the service requirements. Um, something that struck me was that. Um, a number of the service requirements are complemented and supported by the activities that are funded within the um, IIF indicators, mm-hmm. actually. So so a lot of the new additional work, which is a requirement of the PCN DES, is supported. Although not everything, and there are some things which have crept through, which I think are not sort of directly supported or funded uh, with the IIF. Uh, but they're all themed across these these same uh, sort of core uh, areas one mm-hmm. to five. Um, so there's the same sort of familiar structure there, and um, yeah, I think it's 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 a helpful summary table actually. Uh, but you really do need to look into the detail to work out how you're going to deliver these things and how you're actually going to achieve the funding. I Meet mean, the sure. requirements. What were your thoughts looking at the table?
0: Similar. Um, I think it's important to go as ever the, the devil's in the detail. Um, but I think it is a useful indication of what you need to consider. Um, and I think if you look at the different areas, which I'll, I'll probably say we go into now. So, first one's improving prevention and tackling health inequalities. Um, it's interesting that when they talk about health inequalities, they particularly focus on very key parts of it. It's not general health inequalities. It's not about tackling some of the more difficult ones, such as, for example, those with um, deprivation in terms of financial elements or those with language issues, which is a repeated statement we keep making because that, that doesn't seem to be the focus of the PCN DES at all, which is, a, I think, a real miss shot in terms of really tackling it, because we know that those health inequalities, particularly highlighted by COVID, are a massive impact on healthcare for our population and for service delivery. But it does talk about tackling um, in terms of the service delivery, um, neighbourhood inequalities, CVD diagnosis, and prevention, which seems to be the main focus of it, um, early cancer diagnosis and personalised care. Um, although, interestingly, for the next year or so, it doesn't seem to focus as much on early cancer diagnosis in terms of the criteria for 22, 23 in particular. It's much more focused around CVD diagnosis and prevention. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I echo your thoughts on inequalities as well, because really primary care networks are being asked to identify um, hard to reach um, populations within their local population. So um, so, you know, an area might be very affluent. They'll be able to identify some hard to reach groups within their area and achieve these these goals. And other areas may be not so affluent and deal with very, very high levels of deprivation um, and will similarly be able to identify lots of um cases of populations with high need and you know choose some of those to improve so it's not really leveling up really in any way because um you know the funding the achievements on the table regardless of the level of um of true health inequality in your area Mm -hmm. so a bit of a missed potentially a bit of a missed opportunity there um essentially Mm -hmm. Um, the next um, the next section is uh, supporting better patient outcomes in the community through proactive primary care um, so this um is looking at um additional case finding for yep. um cardiovascular disease um and also i think better sort of care planning to prevent unnecessary admissions in certain groups such as um elderly people in care homes or patients aged over age over 18 um resident in care homes uh, for example um one thing i noticed um just in terms of identifying what is mentioned within the um contract variations or the additional requirements on the contract and uh, not mentioned or covered in IIF so there's um I noticed that there was uh, increasing diagnosis of atrial fibrillation for example that was something that stuck out as something that I don't think was mentioned in IIF correct me if I'm wrong but was yeah, in uh,
0: actually in the first category because it talks about the screening, uh, diagnosis and prevention was it um, in that yeah, so it was in the... Oh, not okay. It's not, oh, not, okay. not, oh, not in yes, the IIF. Yeah, than I thought. So You're right, Andy. It's not in the yeah. IIF, But in terms of CVD diagnosis and prevention, it's detailed in the service provision. Like you said, there's three conditions, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. Uh, sorry, hypertension is this year. Next year
1: is hyperlipidemia, atrial fibrillation, and heart failure. That's right. So atrial fibrillation and heart failure don't oh. map to elements within the IIF. So yeah. that is work which is not supported by IIF funding so i'm just just want to highlight and notice and mark that not yeah. everything um is supported by iif there are some additional things and it's interesting I, I i'm a little bit confused as to why a lot of what are the additional requirements for the des do map directly um to iif funding but some don't i'm a little bit confused as to why that has happened
0: I mean, you would suspect that that means that they're planning on changing IAF next year again to map over to the new criteria, if that's what they're suggesting. However, the changes to IAF do also include the changes in twenty two twenty three, 23 So they're planning on changing it again in April. That's severe shifting of goalposts. And I think that's just going to cause more um, chaos in terms of what we're trying to achieve. I think the stuff with the... um, community you know better patient outcomes in community this seems to focus a lot more on that anticipatory care like you said that pre-hospital kind of preventing um, patients attending A&E for example um, targeting frailty a lot more uh, looking at enhanced care homework and stuff trying to again to reduce admissions direct from care homes to hospitals in particular Mm -hmm. there's lots of focus on that particular part in that section which part of it is supported by funding from the IAF
1: absolutely um support for improved patient access so this is an interesting one based on our conversations last week um do you want to make any observations about it Gandhi. so all this does seem to be
0: covered in the IAF, um interestingly um i think there's more stuff that we will go through next week and i think i would definitely recommend people join us for that because it's a lot more meatier but it, it is kind of covered if that makes sense so yeah yeah. Really well.
1: uh, yeah this 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 was interesting because uh, for the first time they're mapping um questions from the GP patient survey to mm-hmm. um to make actual to real judgments um that have an implication on funding for primary care networks mm-hmm. um you know based on patient um experience data from the GP patient surveys so I think that's really interesting look at our episode last week as we talk a little bit about that as well um, area 4 Deliver better outcomes for patients on medications. So there's a big section in the IIF um, yeah. document um, about uh, prescribing uh, quality and safety, mm-hmm. um, uh, which lends itself very much to uh, clinical pharmacy work. I think in terms of identifying, uh-huh. um, you know, troublesome patterns of prescribing people on anticoagulant and antiplatelet medications without a PPI. You know, these sorts of things that we're used mm-hmm. to running searches and searching for. Is a large component of this agreed and it's
0: supplemented by a lot of the stuff that comes in the iaf as well as a result of it which is helpful um it you know this section and the the creating more sustainable nhs is very much focused as you said on the medicine medicine optimization and stuff so yeah i think we're probably going to talking a lot less about those particular criteria and absolutely more about the two kind of themes the anticipatory care and the personalization of care that comes into play and which as you can see are much more focused on sections one two and three
1: yeah so so i think overall this is it's actually a good strategic summary you know i can see Mm -hmm. myself using this on slides when i'm trying to communicate what primary care networks are going to be about and what the um the government and nhs england and department of health are wanting us to focus on going Mm -hmm. forwards as we go through the rest of this year and into next year um, although it needs a lot of fleshing out with a lot of details which are contained within the other documents and
0: on our other videos absolutely and we'll link to all of those documents that you're going to see uh, both in this episode and the future episodes in the show notes below and the descriptions and stuff let us know what you think so this is a shorter sharper episode just to try and give you direction of what's coming and in terms of what's coming absolutely make sure you join us for this episode right here that's going to be talking about the um, PCN DES objective in more detail that's coming out next week Ultimately, you can look at this one right here that's coming up that talks more about the IAF funding. And as always, here at EGP Learning, we're here to help tech enhance your primary care and learning. We'll catch you in the next episode. Oh, hello there, EGP Learner. I'm Dr. Gandalf and I often get asked, what kind of resources do you have to try and help those using EMIS? Because you tend to do a lot more stuff for System 1. And often I've really struggled to answer that question because, let's be honest, I don't use EMIS emis on a regular basis so therefore trying to help emis users is a little bit more difficult for myself and that really made me feel well not great so i kind of did something to try and help all those emis users out there i went and had a chat with one of my colleagues dr mike from gp on the move and him and i have created a course that you can use to help you use emis so much better that's right if you use emis but you want to use it so much better so much quicker And in such a way that means you go home sooner, then check out our eMIS for Clinicians course. It's an online course that takes you through all the tips and tricks that Dr. Mike knows to try and basically mean you can go home quicker. That'd be a cool thing, wouldn't it? And guess what? It's currently on offer. So if you want to take advantage of this introductory offer and get access to it now, look at the links down below and check it out. Additionally, if you're a practice, network or wide area that wants more opportunity to use it, send me an email, egplearning at gmail.com. Let's see if we can help you out. And as I like to say, tech enhance your primary care and learning. Shall we get back to it? Oh, and if you wanted one for System 1 users, well, you know I've got you covered, haven't I? Check out the Learn System 1 for Clinicians course, bit.ly slash s1 course.